0: So, if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, I'll catch up. Those who uh, haven't been around uh, in the story of Nehemiah in a little bit, uh, but we find ourselves going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're in uh, Nehemiah 6 this morning. Um, well, every Monday uh, morning, Usually I take a little time and uh, after, um, when well the summer, the, uh, the kids are usually asleep uh, in the early morning hours. Uh, but after the kids get off to school uh, this week, you know, they'll we'll send them to school. After um, I usually do that, uh, on a Monday morning, I will go for a long run. I will leave my, my phone at home. I will uh, load up some songs on my watch. I'll put something in my ears. And I'll just run. And uh, our friend Dan Pierbold actually suggested this to me probably about a year ago. He goes, you know, just take Mondays. You have a little bit slower of a Monday, and just run. And I've really enjoyed uh, doing that. I will take off from my house downtown Zealand, and I will run to Upper Mac. And sometimes I've even found myself in the, in Vriesland and Drenth, and I'm just like out in the middle of the, the fields, just running and really enjoying it. And people have asked me. They've said like, Dave, I've seen you out in the middle of like nowhere, like you're running, and like, what are you running from? Like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, every Monday I, I take that time, and it's, it's, you know, helpful for me physically, yes, but more importantly, it's helpful for me uh, emotionally and spiritually and mentally. And I say, you know, what am I running from? I'm running from doubt and discouragement and, and frustration and just working through all that life throws at us, uh, throws at me. Like you guys probably have your thing that you do where you just uh, turn off the phone or get rid of distractions and you just like, you know, work some things out uh, in your life. On those long runs, there are always a time when uh, I get to a place and I don't feel like going anymore. Um, even times when I've run like a half marathon, 13 miles, usually about mile 10, my body starts breaking down and I'm like, no, just give up. Like, just don't do it anymore. There comes that time where you hit the wall and you're like, ah, am I going to be able to push through it or not? And I think about that and I think about the illustrations uh, all throughout scripture and our lives are compared to that of a race, Paul talks about running the race. I mentioned Lisa running the race, like almost finishing that race. It's like she's almost across that, that finish line. Life is a race. We see that all throughout Scripture. But life is a race like not in terms of a sprint where you sprint for 100 yards and then you're done. I would consider life is more like a marathon. Following Jesus is more like a marathon. And with any long race, like I shared, you get to this point and you want to give up. I think about life, I think about challenges that people in this room have faced, difficulty that people in this room have faced, disappointment uh, that people in this room have faced. And there comes a time in our lives where where we can get angry at the Lord or we can get frustrated or we can even cry out, maybe this has been one of your prayers, God, God, where are you? God, God, I've prayed for people. I've, I've had faith. I've, I've longed to see things happen uh, in powerful ways. I've longed to see your kingdom come in powerful ways, but I just haven't seen it like I had hoped to see it. And so you get frustrated and you get disappointed and you want to give up. You want to stop and be like, oh, I'm done. Or maybe there's relational difficulties and there's been trials in your lives that way. And you're like, oh, I'm just done. I can't go on. And we get to this place in our Christian life where we just want to stop. And it's not just us that have gotten to that place. People in Scripture have gotten to that place. The book of Hebrews, and we won't go there this morning, but the the book of Hebrews is filled with Paul saying over and over again to a community, don't give up. Don't go back to your former way of life. Keep following, keep hungering and thirsting for Jesus because He is so much better. But if I'm honest, I believe that in the depths of my heart, but the feelings inside of my soul remain lacking. I'm like, Ugh. I just feel kind of like blah. And that has been, like for me, just to be completely honest, that has been the, the journey for, for a, a while. Like I have these feelings of faith where I, I, I long to see God move in powerful ways, but then my feelings, I'm like, Egh. And that's why I'm so thankful that the Lord tells us to live by faith, not by our own feelings, because our feelings can mess with us. I think of the Christian life. And I think of what would be the picture of the Christian life to live a life really, really well. And one of my heroes in scripture, uh, besides Jesus, he's the ultimate hero. But one of my heroes in scripture is in the Old Testament named Caleb. And I'm not going to go into the depths of that story, but uh, Caleb was one of the 12 spies sent into the promised land. And he was one of the the two that came back with a favorable report and said, "Yes, there's a lot of challenges in life. There's a lot of problem or challenges. There's a lot of challenges in the promised land. There's a lot of you know. There's opposition. There's all this stuff. But but God's going to deliver it. God's going to give it to us. And so he was filled with faith. But then we know the story that ten others uh, weren't. And so uh, the people wandered in the desert for forty years." And then we see when they finally enter in the promised land and they're given the land that God has chosen for them, uh, there's this picture of Caleb. And Caleb, at 85 years old, I believe, he's ready to go for it. He's ready to fight. And they're like, wow, well, you're 85. And he's like, I am just as strong today as I was back then. And I always love that because I'm like, that's the type of life that we're called to live. Not to shrink back, not to give up, no matter what obstacle comes because Caleb did face obstacles but to be filled with faith and to keep walking in relationship with the Lord and get to the end and saying, I am just as strong today as I was back then. And so my challenge to all of us, myself included, is to not give up this morning, to continue to go, to not give in to distraction, to not um, shrink back with fear, but to continue to do the work that God has called us to do, to make disciples, to live for His glory. And I want to hop into Nehemiah chapter 6 and and use this story to kind of challenge us this morning and to encourage us this morning. And Nehemiah, we've been going through the book for the last number of weeks, and uh, in Nehemiah 1, we are introduced to the character of Nehemiah, and uh, he hears about the the condition of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is broken down. It's in pieces. It's not what it uh, used to be. And Nehemiah is just broken. He weeps. And he spends just months just praying and crying out to the Lord. He, he fasts. He's just broken by the condition of the city. And I've asked that question over and over again, you know, are we broken by the condition of our world, by the condition of our culture, by the condition of our city? As we look at the brokenness of the world, does it break us? Are we moved to do something about it? Because Nehemiah was moved to do something about it. He was a cupbearer for the king that meant that he uh, drank the wine before the king would drink the wine because if there was some poison in the wine, then he would die instead of the king. And so he had this position uh, in front of the king and so one day he goes to the king and he says, this is what's going on in my homeland. It's broken down. Can you uh, give me permission to leave my post here and go back and rebuild the city? And not only give me permission, will you provide all of the resources? And we saw that the king provided all the resources and said, you can go back to uh, your city and you can rebuild it. And then in chapter 3, we see that just a ton of people gathered together and they rebuilt the walls around the city. Each person doing their part, each family building in the area that where they uh, were living and, and, and together they built the wall pretty quickly. But at the end of chapter 3, we see that they're making progress and then chapter 3 turns into chapter 4 and then all of a sudden there's opposition. The enemy attacks, and there's discouragement that comes, there's doubt that comes, there's some division that happens. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about what to do in our lives when we're attacked by the enemy. Because we saw in chapter 4 that while there are a couple people that attacked, it really was a spiritual attack. And every attack that we're under is spiritual. We see in Scripture that uh, our battle isn't against flesh and blood isn't against other people, it's against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And so then today we're going to see that the attacks continue, that as the wall continues to be built and gets uh, close to completion, the attacks are relentless, they intensify. And so let's read uh, the first 14 verses of Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read, and these verses are up on the screen, I'm going to read out of the message version of the Bible just because I, I feel like it shares the overall story really well. So Nehemiah 6 it says, when Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it, even though I hadn't yet installed the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent this message, come and meet with us at Caraphim in the valley of Ono. I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back with this, I am doing a great work, I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? Four times they sent this message, and four times I gave them my answer. The fifth time, some messengers, same messenger, same message. Sam Ballot sent a, an unsealed letter with this message. The word is out among the nations, and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel that's why you're rebuilding the wall. The word is that you want to be king and that you have appointed prophets to announce in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. The king is going to be told all of this. Don't you think we should sit down and have a little chat? I sent him back this. There's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. They're trying to intimidate us into quitting. They thought they'll give up, they'll they'll never they'll never finish it. And so I prayed, give me strength. Then I met secretly with Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of that guy at his house. And he said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's find safety behind locked doors because they're coming to kill you. Yes, coming by night to kill you. I told them, why would a man like me run for cover? And why would a man like me use the temple as a hideout? I won't do it. I sensed that God hadn't sent this man. The so-called prophecy he spoke to me was the walk or the work of Tobiah and Sanballat. They had hired him. He'd been hired to scare me off, trick me, a layman, into desecrating the temple and ruining my good reputation so they could accuse me. Oh my God, don't let Tobiah and Sanballat get by with all of this mischief they've done. And the same goes for the prophetess and the other prophets who have been trying to undermine my confidence. I mean, you see here, you see that the attacks are relentless. And they start off with just... and and Tobiah saying, hey, let's talk, let's have, let's have a conversation and hear Nehemiah and, and all the others, they're on the wall, they're building. And Samballot and Tobiah, they say, hey, let's, let's have a little conversation. Let's talk about what's going on. And I just think about like when it comes to attacks from the enemy, sometimes they're just so obvious and we know this is an attack from the enemy, so sometimes they aren't as obvious. Sometimes there's distractions that come into our lives and it's a tool that the enemy uses to get us off of the work that God has for us. I mean, think about what this this invitation was. We look at this invitation in 2023 that Sam and Tobiah are like, hey, let's just talk about these problems. Let's just have a conversation. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's let's, let's spend some time together. You think, what's wrong with that? Like conversation is good, right? Conversation would, would go a long way. It would be good unless unless there was a very specific job that the Lord had told Nehemiah to engage in. See, this conversation that they were inviting him into was a distraction to get him away from the work that God had asked him to do. And I think about our lives and I think about all the ways that the enemy attacks, one of the greatest ways that he attacks people in America, I believe, is through distractions. Our life is so filled with noise. My life is so filled with noise. That's why I go off on a Monday and I'm like, I'm going to get rid of all these distractions except I take this watch with a bunch of noise in my ears. But our life is filled with distraction and some things that are good. Some things that are totally fine and totally acceptable. Like, it's okay. Like, I can hop online and just, you know, look at the news and whatever. Whatever. And think like oh that's perfectly fine until all of a sudden it becomes 30 minutes to an hour to a couple hours and then i realize i have been distracted from the work that god has invited me into our life is filled with noise filled with distraction it's one of the ways that the enemy wants to get us away from the great work that god has called us to is your life filled with distraction i look at people today and this makes me so nervous in my life, in the life of, of frankly, younger people. There's constant noise. There's constant um, chatter in their ears, whether it's through our phones or whether it's in, in other ways. And, and the, it's so difficult for us just to tune all of that out so that we can hear from the Lord. We think about ways that the enemy works all across the globe, and there is... Um, evident or like very clear demonic attacks. And people say, well, why doesn't that happen here in America? And I've seen them happen, but I think one of the greatest ways that the enemy is at work is like, I'm not going to attack this way. I'm just going to distract them over and over and over again. I'm going to give them something that they think is okay, something that they think is good, but it's not the great thing that God has called us to. We see the, that re- attack being relentless four times, it says. They came, they said, hey, come meet with us, come meet with us, come meet with us. They're like a nagging like little pest, like constantly asking you for an invitation, asking you, you know, to mean. But then all of a sudden, the fifth time, it goes from being a distraction to all of a sudden they're discredit, discrediting the work that Nehemiah is doing. I mean, did you see that in the, in the text? They sent this open letter, put it online for everybody to read. Here is what Nehemiah is doing. He wants to be king. He is in it for himself. The sad thing is just the previous chapter, in chapter 5, we see that Nehemiah wasn't in it for himself. In Nehemiah 5, there's, this, um, there's a, a famine in the land, and, and people are struggling, they're hungry, uh, there's no food, and so they sell houses, and some even sell their kids to get food. There's uh, people that are, are rich, and they're um, paying for food, but they're uh, providing food for those who don't have enough, but they're, they're lending them money uh, to buy food, but they're charging them interest, and they're charging them interest in a time when, when people didn't have anything. And you think like, well, what's wrong with them charging interest for a loan or whatever? But it's something that God told them not to do. And so in this time where there's just a, a lot of trouble, people aren't working with each other. They're working against each other. They're taking advantage of each other. And right in the middle is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was governor of Jerusalem, was there for 12 years. And as a governor, could have had uh, a ton of food, could have taxed the people, but didn't do any of that. Instead of having these lavish parties at his place that uh, others before him had, he invited people, 150 it says in Nehemiah 5, to come and eat the food that was assigned to him. And so here was Nehemiah who was working for the benefit of the city, working to care for people, living a life of service, and then all of a sudden, the attacks come and they discredit him. Here's the real motivation. People start chirping and people start talking, saying, this is really as hard, or I heard that he is about this or that. In our lives, people will start talking. People will say things. People will want to discourage you and discredit your reputation by saying, well, this is really why they're doing what they're doing. But the cool thing about Nehemiah is he doesn't give a lot of time and energy to that. He continues to live his life and allow his life to speak. I want to encourage you, when you are discredited, when people say things about you, continue to put your head down and do the work that God has called you to do. Keep following Jesus and allow your life to speak for itself. So there was distraction. They wanted to discredit Nehemiah. But then the third thing you see in this chapter is they wanted to deceive him. There comes this prophet. says, hey, they want to kill you. They want to kill you, let's hunker down, let's, let's play it safe, let's go to the temple and just hide out there. And in, meanwhile, as this was being told to Nehemiah, there's some wrestling in his gut. It just feels off, doesn't feel right, doesn't line up with what God has said. See, the temple was a place of worship. Nehemiah couldn't just barge into the temple. That wasn't the purpose of the temple. The temple was a place where the presence of God was at. You couldn't just go in. And so here, Nehemiah is like, no, there's deception. The enemy's trying to deceive me, get me off of uh, the word of God and what God has said. And isn't that what happens today? It's happened all the way since the beginning. The enemy wants to discredit and deceive us when it comes to the word of God. Today, we are in a cultural battle. We are in a, a battle even within the church. Will we hold true to the word of God? Will we hold true to what it says and believe that God's word is comes directly from his mouth and is absolutely true. There's so many ways that the enemy wants to come in. He wants to deceive. He wants to discredit us. He wants to discourage us. He wants to bring distractions. But I love Nehemiah's response. And this is the response that that I want to call us all to today. Because look at what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 6 verse 3. He says, he responds to the constant invitation to distraction. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I just think of Nehemiah, and I've said this a couple weeks ago, he's just so savage. He's just like, I am not coming down, I'm so stubborn, I'm focused on this great work that God has called me to. I'm not going to waste my time. And I think about Nehemiah's life and it makes me ask the question, what is the great work that we are called to? What is the great work that we are invited into? Nehemiah was invited into this work to rebuild the walls of the city. But along with Nehemiah came his buddy Ezra, who was rebuilding the temple, and together they were rebuilding the city so the presence of God would rest in the city of Jerusalem again. The God wanted to dwell with his people, wanted to be with his people. The same is true today, but the only way that that can be possible is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think about the great work that God has invited us into. He said in Matthew 28, he says, go, go and make disciples. Go and tell people that they can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Go and make disciples, inviting them to move from from darkness into light, move from their past into their their future with Jesus. Invite them into this relationship, baptizing them, and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teach people out of what you have been taught. See, what I love about Restoration Church is there are groups that meet all the time, people that meet in conversation, people that, that get into the Word together, that study the Word together, that say, oh, you see this verse, did you see that? And I love those times. People are growing in their relationship with the Lord, and I want to see that over and over again. I believe that relation, our relationship with God grows in the context of community, that we can never forsake meeting together, that we cannot forsake getting into the Word together to grow in our relationship with the Lord, but to do so in a way where we take that and we share that with other people. See, we can't get spiritually constipated where we're just all stuck up and there's no outflow. You're like, let me sink that in. Let's sink that in a little bit. But I think a lot of times we just, it's input, 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 and it doesn't flow out of us. We are invited into the great work of making disciples, of sharing our faith with others sharing the hope of Jesus that we have with others. That is the great work, and every time you engage in that, I know this is true, there's life that comes inside of you because this is the purpose by which God recreated you in Christ Jesus. This is the great work to make disciples. This is what Jesus said. But also the great work that Jesus told us to engage in is to what? First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, to live a life of worship. That's what I love about our worship times, because it's not just singing a couple songs, it's our hearts being so filled with adoration for all God has done. To be a place where we just pour out our hearts before the Lord, because He is deserving of all of our adoration. I want this place, I want Restoration Church to be just a place where, uh, of worship, where the Lord is pleased by what He hears and by what He sees. I want us to linger in worship so that the presence of the Lord can just fall because that is what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever. And I don't understand how it's all going to work, but there's nonstop worship. There's nonstop worship of our Father and the Son. And so why not start here? That's what I love as I look forward to the fall, trying to schedule out worship leaders talked to the group from Every Heart up in, up in Grand Rapids and Joel and Trent, and, and they have decided to like, come here a couple times in a month and to help us, lead us in worship, to worship with us, along with others that we're going to fill in. We want to be a place where we're a worshiping community, where we're a united community of worshipers that are hungry for the presence, for the power, for the purity of Jesus in this place, because that's what He has invited us out to. That's that great work but then also the great work of loving our neighbor as yourself. See, we hear people going on different mission trips, doing different things all around the world, and that is so phenomenal. But do you know that every time you step out of this space, every time you go home, you are going on a mission trip. You are being sent to your neighborhood. You're being sent to the places that God has placed you to be a light in that place, to give hope to people, to say you can be forgiven, you can have new life in Christ, your life can be restored, the old can be gone, the new can come, all through the blood of Jesus. See, we have this great work, Mallory, put that verse back up there. We have this great work, and it's a great work of inviting people into relationship. It's not a work of religion. This West Michigan is so filled with religion. Our lives can be so filled with religion, doing one thing after the next after the next. We have been invited into the great work of telling people that they can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Never allow that to grow cold in our hearts. Engage in that great work. Don't settle for less. But then you might ask what about when we get tired? What about when we get weary? because we all get weary, we all get tired, we all get frustrated, we all uh, can have times where we're like, we want to throw up our hands and just give up. Look at what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah 6, verse 9. And this happens all throughout the book of Nehemiah, so much so that it's easy to read over it. Nehemiah stopped and he prayed and he says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Where do you find your strength? Where do you find your energy being renewed? Where do you go when you're drained? Do you go to a hobby? Do you go to TV? Do you go to something? Do you go to a substance? Or do you go to the living God and his spirit to refill you and to refresh you? This is again, the great invitation of the Lord. He says, when you are weary, when you are down and out, come to me, come to me all who are weary and thirsty and I will give you a drink. Fast forward to Revelation 21. When we're with him face to face, he's going to be wiping every tear from our eye. He's going to be giving us everything that we need. And that happens today as well. Listen to this. It's not up on the screen. Isaiah 40. This is the great promise of the Lord. And this is something that I hang on to over and over again. The Lord's saying, have you not known. Have you not heard? Isaiah 40, verse 28. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And this is what he does. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's the great promise of the Lord, that those who wait on the Lord, that those who come to the Lord, He will be faithful to renew our strength, to fill us. But do we take that time just to wait on the Lord? And often I would say for me and for others, it's no, because we're filled with so many distractions. Will you sit and wait on the Lord? Are you going to the Lord and saying, fill me, I need strength, I'm weary. And he's faithful to do that. Fast forward to the end of the chapter, because I love how this chapter ends, and I think this is the vision, this is the heart, this is the goal says the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. It had taken 52 days. Let me pause there a second. How long has I-96 been under construction? (laughs) They built a wall in less time than it took to repair I-96 with modern technology. Like that is a miracle right there. And it says, when all of our enemies heard the news and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies totally lost their nerve. They knew that God was behind this work. I look at that last line. They knew that God was behind that work. That is what I want to give my life to, and I know that is what you want to give your life to. You want to participate in things and be a part of things where people look like only God could do that. Only God could transform that life. Only God can resurrect this marriage. Only God can heal that person. Only God can move in such a powerful way. It has to be that God did it. I'm tired of doing things in my own strength. I'm tired of of being busy trying to, to make things happen. I want to be a part of things where we just see God at work in powerful ways. But what does it take? It takes a community of people living fully surrendered to Him, saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. There's a man, we talked about this on Wednesday, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, one time, met with his friend, and his friend, Harvey, I believe his name was, said this to him in a conversation. Mallory, put that little comment up there. D.L. Moody's friend, Harvey, said this to him It remains to be seen what God will do through a man who gives himself wholly to him. In conversation, he's like, you know, it it, it remains to be seen what God will do through a man, through a life that is fully surrendered. And D.L. Moody, with probably a little bit of cockiness and confidence, just said, I am that man. D.L. Moody went on to share the gospel with over 100 million people. He was engaged in the work of the YMCA and, and many came to faith in Jesus because of the proclamation of the gospel that came from his lips. I took that quote, And I went a little further, and I've just been asking myself this, and I want to ask ourselves this this morning. It remains to be seen what God will do through a community who gives themselves wholly to Him. And I believe restoration can and will be that community. What will it look like if we fully surrender to King Jesus in every part of our lives, wholly to Him, and saying we're not just going to do things for the sake of doing things. We are going to give our lives fully in complete surrender so that people can see Jesus. And so I want you to bow your heads. I just think of the things that we saw in Nehemiah 6. Are you distracted? Are there, are there things that need to go in your life? Maybe even some good things, but you just find yourselves, yourself constantly going back to them. And then even there's there's feelings of guilt that come up later. You're like, ah, I shouldn't have given so much time to that. That is the the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just prompting on your heart, like there's something that has to go in your life. And the good thing about our Heavenly Father is that He disciplines those He loves. He calls things out in us. He, He says, this you think is good, but it has to go in your life. I don't want that to have control of you. He's inviting us into a deeper relationship with Him. I often think, too, like maybe there's a running record in your mind that you have believed. Lies that have been told about you in the past. People who have said, well, this is just who you are and that's all you're going uh, to be. Well, I think today the Lord wants you to let go of those lies and believe the truth of who you are in Christ, that you're a new creation. The old is gone, that the new has come, that you belong to the Father all because of the blood of His Son. Also, I know that the enemy wants to deceive us. But how can we be deceived if we don't know the truth and don't spend time in the Word? And I just hear the Lord saying, spend time with me. Stop seeking to be strengthened by other sources. Come to me, the one who will fill you abundantly, over and over and over again. And so today, I just think there's a great invitation for us to surrender to give ourselves more fully to our Father, to our Savior, Jesus. And not settle for a good work, but continue to be engaged in the great work. And so, Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Empower us to live a more complete and surrendered life to you, King Jesus. All for your glory.